This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have Alyssa Gonzalez on the show uh, to talk about, obviously, herself, but also the new bike shop that she is opening, along with her partner in the business, Colby, and I am psyched to get you guys to hear this conversation. It's really cool to kind of hear somebody kind of go through the process of opening a new shop, especially in the Denver area, and kind of hear about some of Alyssa's experiences rolling into that and what kind of made her want to open a bike shop in the first place. So hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, before we jump into the show, a uh, couple quick things. One, uh, keep an eye out for the fall gear guide that'll come out late September. Uh, this upcoming September, we got some really, really cool artwork from Shane McFalls and I'm psyched to get some gear stuff in people's hands. I'm like, people probably know this already, but I'm a gear dork and I really, really like talking about gear and it's kind of what my wheelhouse is. So I'm psyched to be able to put some of that stuff out there along with some awesome writers, artists, and a whole bunch of stuff. It's a very unique gear guide. It's very different from what everybody else is doing. I'm trying to actually like provide feedback for people that buy gear and not just like the latest and greatest. It's like what actually makes sense for people rolling into the ski season. Hopefully help you find some help with purchases and as always if you have gear questions whether it's bike or ski related uh, always happy to help just email adam at outofpodcast.com and i am happy to guide you with whatever especially if it is a fisher product because obviously that is uh that is our wheelhouse so hit me up also Revel Bikes is a sponsor of the out of bounds podcast they have been a great partner to us i have been riding my revel rover non-stop over the last few months and i am psyched on it it's like a perfect mountain or perfect gravel bike for mountain bikers it's comfortable fits wide tire wide gear range it's uh it's awesome so if you want a gravel bike that can handle some pretty rough class four roads mountain bike trails single track double track and even ride a bit on the road like whatever you want gravel bike from revel in the rover is an awesome choice and they also make my favorite bike of all time in the revel rail 29 and they have some on sale right now so if you're looking for a new ride go buy a rail right now you will not be upset that is the best long travel bike i've ever had and i think that will stay that way for a very long time i'm very sad that i parted with mine but i will uh, for sure be getting a new one at some point so uh revelbikes.com for all info on all things Revel. Without further ado, here is Alyssa Gonzalez. Alyssa, uh, tell people who you are, a little <laughs> bit about yourself, and then let's take it from there. Yeah, um, my name is Alyssa Gonzalez. Uh, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I am a creative athlete, uh, advocate, and soon-to-be small business owner. Um, yeah, I, I like biking. I like skiing. I like cats. <laughs> That's really <laughs> all there is to know about me. <laughs> how how did you get into the skiing and cycling part mm -hmm. of this industry? And I guess not just like obviously like everybody's like, oh, yeah, I started skiing, blah, 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 blah. But like how did you actually get involved in the industry yeah. side of it? Um, yeah, so I moved to Boulder, Colorado in June of 2016 uh, after I graduated college. Um, I moved here to get my master's and... I 
had always been involved in athletics in some way. Um, I ran division one track and field in college as a 400 meter hurdler. And so I always thought I really wanted to do graphic design work for a university or something to be involved with sports because I really loved just getting to know athletes and the, the whole training process and just athleticism and um, moving to Boulder just opened my eyes to literally every Thing that I didn't know existed in terms of the outdoor industry and sports and um, mm -hmm. living here it's really hard to not meet people who are very actively involved in things there's just I mean aside from the athlete part there's videographers photographers all these different brands here and so um, I just started getting into stuff mostly through uh, design work and uh, freelancing starting to work for more outdoor brands and ended up working for Outside Magazine for about three and a half years um, as a product designer doing web design. And through that, I made a lot of contacts. And um, at the same time, like during the pandemic, uh, I'd started finding a lot more interest in the outdoor space and wanting to get more involved in some of the sports, specifically biking and skiing, because um, I had never done any of that before I moved out here. Like I, when I moved to Colorado, I went on my first hike which was at Chautauqua and it was really hard. And I went running, like trail running for the first time and all these different things, camping, all of that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I really got into the outdoors through my work first and then also some modeling. Um, and then I was like, oh, maybe I should learn to do some of these things myself. And <laughs> then I started awesome. doing that, yeah. <laughs> Let me outside is kind of like the big bad wolf of Ooh. the outdoor media space sometimes. And I, I think some of that is fair. And I think some of that is very unfair. Can you talk about like what your experience was working for the three years at outside? Yes. I, so I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a very transparent person. I um, am happy to share my experience, but I started actually with pocket outdoor media. And so um, yep. I started with them and we only had four brands at the time, three of them being magazines, one of them being an online brand. And then uh, I think it was like January 2020. I feel like at the same time as the pandemic really started picking up, we also, Pocket Outdoor Media, got money from investors and stuff. And so we, while a lot of other magazine brands were going down, we saw an opportunity as a company to like uplift them and kind of become this larger media publishing company and so we purchased uh active interest media which brought in magazines like climbing and backpacker and um all of those and then eventually we ended up purchasing outside and the entities that came with that and so i think within like a year and a half of me working there we went from like 40 people to like 900 um mm. and so my experience rapidly changed from uh like we used to have weekly meetings where we would be i would be sitting like cross-legged on the floor with the other 30 people around me with our CEO like talking to us like directly um, to jumping onto all hands with like 800 people tuning in every week <laughs> to so it was like a really just interesting experience to be just like rapid growth <laughs> and so yeah um, my experience there as a product designer um, I mean I was one of three people when I left um, doing my job for and I designed websites the digital experience it's outside TV outside app all of that stuff um, it was a lot of work. Uh, our team got along really well. Um, I personally left because of just the state of the outdoor industry. Some of the things that we were going into as a company um, outside started going to outside IO and Web3 and NFTs. And um, it 
didn't start feeling aligned anymore to what I was working towards in the outdoor industry. Um, I really care about diversity and inclusivity, and I don't personally think that like NFTs is a way to get there. Um, and so that mm. started to not feel aligned. Uh, and then it also just became really tough as um, just a marginalized person within the company. Uh, I was yeah. definitely like as like a queer woman of color, definitely in the minority. Like I would say like 97% of the people that worked there were like white. And that was tough <laughs> because I was also leading the, one of the diversity um, programs. And yeah, so it, it was just a lot of pushback and I kind of just wanted a break from it all. Um, and I really is one of those situations where like you're so involved in your work in the outdoor industry that I started hating the outdoor industry and I didn't want it to get to that point where I like just wanted to be completely hands off. So. Yeah. What about Web3 did you not feel was inclusive? That's always a weird one. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people had opinions when they decided to launch that product. 99% yeah. of them felt like they were negative. Yeah. <laughs> like for one reason or another, everybody was like, what the fuck is going on? Why Why is this the like priority right now? Yeah. And it just didn't feel like it made sense not even from like an inclusivity standpoint for me, it just didn't make sense from a bit. And obviously like it didn't work out at this point we know, but like during that time it, it felt like the business model didn't even make sense. So I, I guess my question for you is what, what about it did you feel like wasn't pushing the boundary for inclusivity and diversity? Yeah. Um, I, I think that the intentions were good. Like I think the idea behind it was like, Oh, we want to create more access and we're going to incentivize people through, these digital tokens and all this other stuff. And I think that idea is good, but a lot of it um, didn't feel like it was hitting the mark because it wasn't actually addressing the real problem of like diversity and inclusivity and lack of equity in the outdoors. Um, it's just, it was, it was based off a lot of presumptions and assuming that um, marginalized communities had access to smartphones or even knew what web three was or NFTs or all of these things. And that the only reason why they weren't getting outside is because they didn't, have enough um like i don't know i guess like coercion or incentive incentivizing <laughs> i don't know what the word is but mm -hmm. they just didn't have enough pushing them to get there and like that's not what i think the real issue is um a lot of it is systemic and a lot of it is just like access and like um just acceptance in the outdoors in a big way too so i think it was inherently exclusive um and that, I mean, I don't know why the exact reasons why it failed, but I just don't think it was like really addressing the actual issues there. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. It, it makes sense. I, I think a lot of times, especially over the last few years, it feels like these bigger companies go in there with this big diversity plan so that they seem like they're mm -hmm. pushing for diversity and then they don't actually do enough to, or they don't do the right things. And, and I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know what all the right things yeah. are, but like it it seems like a lot of times those efforts are very shallow and, and I don't necessarily understand why. Yeah. I think, I mean, ultimately um, it's really hard to go back and change something that has been created to not be diverse or inclusive or welcoming to all people. And so when you think of a lot of these, I mean, just even the industry of the outdoor industry as a whole, like a lot of it's, started like people doing sports and competition and um this idea that you have to continue to like get better and these things i mean all, all of that is just building this like lack of uh, inclusivity and like lack of a welcoming space and so 
I think it's tough when these companies have been around for so long doing the way, like doing things the way that they have to just be like, okay, now we have a diversity initiative. So things are just going to be better. Um, and -hmm. it's not, it's not an overnight fix. So, I mean, there's no right or wrong way to approach the problem and to create change, but it's like, it's not even going to be like a five-year thing. It's going to be a 10, 20 generational long thing to actually create an impact. So that, I mean, I hope, hopefully a lot of the people now that are doing work and a lot of the companies that are leading um, the way kind of in the inclusivity space, um, I mean, down the road, there's going to be, I hope to see some massive change, but um, yeah, I think people, especially in the larger companies realize how much work it takes and then it starts dwindling away. Cause I've definitely seen since like 2020 to now, the amount of diversity yeah. initiatives, I mean, even like BIPOC representation and modeling and the outdoor industry and all that stuff, like it's just dramatically dropped. Um, yeah. Because I think people have lost interest, which is kind of a bummer, but. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that seems like a thing that, I, I don't know, like there's this like holding brands accountable thing that is happening currently and has been happening for a while, but it seems like after a certain point, a lot of the brands just stop giving a shit. Like they're just like, okay, this is what it is right now. So uh, on the positive side of that, I guess, what are there brands, bigger brands in your mind that are like doing a positive, doing a good job of making sure that inclusivity is part of what they do? Yeah. Um, I mean, no brain is perfect. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning every single day about sure. how to do Same. things and all of that. And I think a lot of people in the industry are trying and like that goes way further than just not having any say or stance behind things. But um, I mean, just in the cycling space, cause that's where I primarily work now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I try to intentionally work with brands and organizations that are actively doing stuff where I could see the effect um, supporting communities. And so SRAM is a really great one that has done like a lot of really good work just for local communities. They have a lot of um, like community advocates and community ambassadors across the country that do really great work to create more access and inclusive spaces, as well as at the Philly Bike Show this year um, or this previous year, uh, they had a scholarship for um, women, trans, and non-binary frame builders, and they flew them in, gave them full parts, let them have their bikes on display on like this really huge thing, and that was really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I am also I work with Pivot a lot, and they do a lot of work for women in the space. Um, their bikes aren't the cheapest, but they are. They can be like <laughs> lifetime bikes if people do end up being able to save up for that. Um, but they do a lot of really great like women's rides, women's groups, they sponsor trans athletes. Like they're, they're just fully on board and have been since day one that I've been talking to them. And, um, I, I get to know a lot of the people behind the brands that make it feel more trusting too. Um, and then surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, chamois butter, which is like, it's a, a chamois cream. Yeah. Truly one yeah. of the best brands I've ever worked with. I've ever seen out there. They just, I mean, it's a small business. Um, Kara Matthews, her dad, created it in their garage and she was telling me that they her and her brother used to just be like filling chamois butter bottles after school every day and like it's just truly like a mom and pop business that has grown really large and they really just tried to do a lot of work to be like I mean they sell like butt cream essentially and so they're like yeah right exactly but they have such a diverse group of ambassadors and do so many cool activations at so many events that um I just like love working with them a lot and I yeah yeah they just are really great 
Yeah, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things, which is which is awesome. And it's a little, it's almost one of those brands that you don't expect to do anything, right. you yeah. know. And then like you're like, okay, yeah, it's butt butter, like yeah. that's cool. But like, but it just shows I, like you I just do never expected. Yeah. It's like yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter what type like, of brand you are. It's like because then you see some of the larger brands who don't do anything, and you're like, oh, well, you have way more resources and opportunity to like use your voice and the power you have. But um, I don't know, Shammy Butter's making it work. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good, it, it's kind of a good place to look, I guess, for some of the bigger brands because like there's no there's no excuse, right? If Shammy mm-hmm. Butter can do it, anybody else can do it too. Yeah, definitely. Or at least make an effort. And I yeah. think that's that's where it all kind of starts. And I think that's still at the, the point that we're at at this point. Yeah, I think a lot of people or brands, I mean, honestly, and people too, are just trying to decide, like, what is it worth losing customers and losing some, like, I don't know, value in people's eyes to, like, stand up for things uh, like human rights and equality? Or would they rather just, like, put business priorities above that? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think, is there an argument in your head for like brands that decide to just be a business and do nothing? Or is there like a certain social responsibility that you feel like, especially these bigger brands should be holding? Because I think there, there's always been both sides of the argument, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, yes, we want to stand for something. But then there's the other brands that are like, look, we just make a product. That's the end of the road for us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think there's things to say on both sides. I'm someone who's like very value driven, but even trying to be like non-biased in it, I think brands create products to solve problems, um, whether it's like toilet paper or Doritos or any, I mean like anything, like all of it is trying to like make people happier or add, add some value to someone's life. So, and there are people behind the brand that it's not just like, to use Doritos again, it's not like Doritos is just Doritos and like no one is behind the scenes making decisions. There's a CEO, there's people on board, there's people who work for them. Um, And so I would argue that like for the sake of keeping the brand alive and showing that the people that are showing the people that work there that like you care about stuff that like, yeah, having values as a brand is important and sticking behind that is just as important. Um, And I, I truly believe that like, I mean, millennials and Gen Z and all the generations now, they, everyone is very values driven and really does care about um, the impact that people are having on envi- the environment and socially. And uh, if you're not standing up for stuff, um, it just doesn't look good. And I mean, that's why a lot of brands aren't doing really well in some spaces. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I 100% agree. I think the people are starting to care and and you see it in both sides right it's like when people when brands take a stand you get the other side of it where people are like i don't agree fuck this brand like i'm never buying this product again but it's like that's still what i've been seeing (laughs) exactly i've been seeing a lot of that too and it's it's really funny and it's ridiculous but what's even funnier is like the kind of hypocrisy that goes with it too because all these people are like no, like, don't stand up for what you believe in. Like, I don't believe in this, so I'm out. And it's like, you're literally using yeah. the fact that you don't believe in it to decide a pro. Like, it, you're making the argument for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it just comes down to also, like, I mean, the last few years in our country have been very divisive. And so it's hard to make stances nowadays just because it is, it feels very 
conflicting for lots of people and a lot of feelings and anger and all that stuff comes up and anything on social media is just like, it's not the place to have conversations too. Um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be difficult though. And it's gotta be difficult to not take a lot of that stuff personally too. Mm -hmm. Like you just pivot, just posted a ride. Right. Like, and like, yeah. I looked at some of the comments and I'm like, dude, what is happening right now? Like people are like, I wish I didn't buy a pivot. And I'm like, dude, yeah. what is, what, how did you like get from point A to point B here? Oh yeah. And it's funny. Cause I mean, I've only had two very widespread negative posts like that before. I mean, one with pivot with the ride. And then last year, uh, Teton gravity research posted about, um, just a scholarship that I was supporting for women of color mm -hmm. to get their ski instructor certification. And in both posts, there are no political statements. There's nothing about like, it's just literally saying like, this is an event and it's for women and sometimes women of color. And then people just get so upset about it. And it, it's almost comical to me because it's just like such a simple thing. I'm not even making like a really strong political stance like I do in most of my <laughs> yeah. posts. Um, but I mean, it's like the same thing when you're riding down the street and someone buzzes you in a car because they're so pissed off that you're biking. It's like the littlest things can make people upset and angry. I don't understand it and I don't get it. But um, hopefully one person sees that sees the comments and sees the positive ones and take something away from it that it's like, Oh, Hey, maybe it's not so bad to have an affinity space or it's not so bad to like, just let women ride bikes. Like they're allowed to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to like, especially with social, it's like just kind of the way a lot of our brains work where mm -hmm. you'll get a hundred positive comments. Like this is awesome. And then you'll get one that's like really rude or mean or whatever. And you're just like holding on to that one negative as opposed to looking at all the positive aspects of it. Yeah. I, I definitely understand that. I mean, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah I think like, like the three negative comments on that post. And I mean, I really, my community very much came in support of me for that pivot post, but I really valued all that. And then I still can't get the three comments out of my head of people being like, I don't want to support this brand anymore. And I'm just like, why, what do I have to do? Yeah. Like yeah. you're like almost looking to like not please these people, but yeah. you're just like, I don't understand what I did to make you not like this. Really? But, I can't, can't win everything. <laughs> can't win everything. Can't please yeah. everyone. And nor should you, it just doesn't, it's not yeah. your job. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the bike shop that you're opening. Mm -hmm. What in Denver? So what's, what's going on? What's the story? Why a bike shop? Give me some details here. Yeah. Um, so I am opening a bike shop, uh, with my friend Colby, who's a really talented bike mechanic. Um, it's called Treehouse Cyclery. Our, tentative uh opening day is labor day weekend so about a month or so from now um and uh, i mean i've been in the cycling world for two years i don't think that like I've, I've found myself justifying being like oh but i do this and i do that to try to prove that i have like enough clout to open a bike yeah, shop yeah. but it's i just really love bikes and i love people and i like being able to provide that kind of experience for people and that's like one of my re main reasons for wanting to get into it and um Colby uh, has been working in bike shops for, or he's been working at a shop here in Boulder for quite a bit. And as a mechanic has just seen a lot of stuff on his end that like he, he's a cis white man and still feels like he can't find spaces here in Boulder that he fits into. And um, he sees how some people are treated like women or people of color or bigger bodied people when they walk into the shop. Um, and even just how sometimes men treat some of the women mechanics, like they'll walk in and just like, be like, Hey, can I speak to a, a man? And like, just all these different things that it's crazy. Yeah. All like the negative bike shop stuff, like he's witnessed them and been a part of it and it makes him uncomfortable too. And, 
um, we were talking one day and he was kind of sharing his perspective on like things that he really loved about shops and the community aspects of them. And, um, and then also a lot of things he didn't like and same with me, we were kind of just chatting and I was just like, let's open a bike shop. And here we are now opening a bike shop. And that was about a year and a half ago. <laughs> but um, I think like one of the biggest pieces of it is that for such a huge outdoor state, um, I would say that Colorado doesn't feel like a very welcoming space for a lot of outdoor people. Um, mm -hmm. Even for people like, I, I mean, and this isn't just for marginalized communities or people with a marginalized identity. Like I've talked to like, professional athletes, um, people have been in the space forever, other bike shop owners, just like overall, like there's a pretty big lack of community here and where there is community, it is seeped in a lot of like elitism and constantly having to be better. And a lot of like the group rides out here are all pretty much training rides. Like you're climbing like 4,000 feet of elevation going 18 miles an hour on gravel and they're all drop rides. And it just doesn't feel like a space where like you could just show up as you are on any type of bike and be welcomed. And I think, that, I mean, that's one of the things that we're hoping to address is just being a community focused shop. Um, we'll have sales and service. Uh, and so we hopefully will like start doing more events that are focused just on creating welcoming spaces. And we'll have rides where you can go hard if you want to. And we'll also have rides for beginners or for people who just want to get to know other people on bikes and um, workshops, uh, events that way. And we're going to be building a bike packing gear library to just create some more access there. Um, the shop will definitely be more focused on like bike packing, touring, adventure cycling, and like commuting. Uh, and that feels exciting to us because there are a lot of shops in the front range already that like cater towards um, high end mountain biking and high end like triathlon or uh, gravel or road racing. And so we feel like there's a big opportunity to diversify the brands and the offering there as well. And so bringing in some, whether it's like local to Colorado or uh, US brands and independent frame builders and just different things that people aren't seeing as much um, out here, which is exciting. So. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, and I agree with you. Like there's shops are a very difficult thing because every shop I think starts to cater to one type of person or another. And that very much like ostracizes a certain group of mm -hmm. people that want a bike shop, want to feel like part of the community and then kind of hit this wall the second they walk in the door. And I think we need more shops like that, that are kind of like, yes, we're, we're here for you. Yes. We cater to a sort of specific audience, but we're open, we're here to help. And mm -hmm. like, this is a community center. And I think that's, that's kind of the key in my mind to making a successful retail business in the outdoor space right now because if you're not doing the community aspect of it right and kind of creating a positive culture around your shop then what different like why does anybody even need you you know yeah. like what's even the purpose yeah yeah and we definitely want to bring back the kind of mindset that like bike shops can be community hubs and spaces where people can hang out and meet other people and um i mean there are so many shops across the country that we look up to and like uh one of the first bike shops that I ever walked into like six years ago and I, did, I wasn't even biking then was Golden Saddle Cyclery in Los Angeles yeah. and they've closed since but um, I was just in LA for the first time I was walking around and 
saw this cool looking space and I walked in and bought a t-shirt and a water bottle and everyone was so nice in there. And I was like, oh, is this a bike shop? And like, I didn't even realize that. Like I was in there first because people were just hanging out and having fun and I thought it looked cool. And so um, I've been, I was following them my entire kind of journey into cycling. And when they closed, um, I, I was out, I went out to LA, I went to their closing party. I, I eventually became friends with a lot of the people there. And it just felt really special to me to see a shop be more than just a bike shop. And it really was a community space. Like people on the weekends were like, oh, we're going to go hang out at Golden Saddle. Like that's where we're going to be. We're going to go ride. That's where they meet all their friends. And I think that would be really cool to have some space like that here in Colorado, especially on the front range where people just feel comfortable going and hanging out and meeting new people and um, just getting to be themselves instead of having it be this like very sterile shop environment where you walk in and it's all just like, I don't know exactly what you would expect it to be, I guess, when you walk into a bike shop yeah. and get treated the way that you expect to and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, the treatment thing of customers is like, for some reason, always a huge issue in bike shops, like yeah. the way that they act towards customers, especially women, especially people that are new to the sport. It's very, yeah. it's very weird. Like, and I'm, ne I'm never going to understand it because like, to me, you want everybody you can possibly get coming in through the doors yeah. and like spending money at your shop, feeling connected to your shop, because that's the kind of thing that keeps shops in business. And I think a lot of times shops get so comfortable with like, okay, we have our business model down. We know mm -hmm. who's going to come buy bikes. Like we, they get lazy, they get complacent and they get like arrogant about it. And then eventually like if that funnel shuts off, you're in a position where you're just like, this is, this is it. This is yeah. all we can do at this point. And the way that you make people feel goes a lot further than like what you sell or what kind of product you have or the mechanic that you have. Like mm -hmm. that stuff is, is a lot more important to me at least. So yeah. I'm glad that that's a priority for you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of people that I've talked to feel similarly, so I am hoping it goes really well. <laughs> I, I hope so too. Yeah. What big, biggest challenge for you as your like going into the opening stages here? Yeah. Well, everything has been running smoothly until the money part is just like, honestly, the hardest thing that we both were a little naive about, but like didn't, I'm, I'm a very optimistic person. I'm just like, it's going to work out. And I still do believe hundred percent it's going to work out. It's just a challenge. And in the sense of like, we both uh, quit our jobs to focus on this full time, which feels still like a good decision for us to do. Um, but we're, I'm 29, Colby's 31. Um, we don't own a house. We don't own a car. <laughs> we don't have like assets and equity to be able to put up against a business loan. And um, uh, this weird thing too, with a lot of the business loans that we're looking at is that you have to be open for like six months to two years to prove that you are a viable business. And um, just yeah. all of these like really specific things that feel um it's just like, I, it, it makes it tough for anyone to just open a business if you don't have generational wealth or um, you don't have like a massive income or if you have debt, like I have student debt. And so that's always gonna impact um, my finances. Even like my previous job, I was making six figures and I also have six figures of student debt. So it kind of canceled out. Like I was, I had no money, so it didn't really matter. And um, it's, it's tough, but we've been able to find some really great local banks that are specifically trying to help lift the economy in these areas for um, people with marginalized identities. And so 
there's some support out there and some grants that are working to help women, um, black business owners, business owners of color try to start spaces because there are a lot of things stacking up against um, people in that way. And so I would say that's the toughest part just because we're kind of just on our own trying to do this thing. And, um, but we're, we're trudging along and we're also about to release a crowdfunding campaign that will um, hopefully help offset some of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Next biggest stressor for you, as far as opening goes, like, what do you, what are your concerns, I guess, rolling into opening week? What are your concerns as you start to like get the business off the ground? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, like you said, like the first six months is, is really important, like to prove not just to anybody else, but to yourself that it's a viable business and that it can work. Like it's, it's important to start seeing people come through the doors. So what, where is your head at with that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think outside of the money part, uh, our next biggest kind of concern or stressor is just, I mean, the bike industry has seen a lot of change over the last few years and it's, I think it, the outdoor industry was once an industry that was decently stable where you could predict kind of how it was going to go. Like it was always going to be this amount of money in sales and this is how many people are coming through the doors. And I think the pandemic just really shook that up for a lot of industries. And um, I think not really knowing how the economy and the outdoor industry is going to be affected now, like kind of a few years post pandemic, now that we're kind of back in like the real world. And so that's a little scary getting into that space now um, and not really understanding like how to forecast into what that looks like. But um, on a positive note, I think that like we are at an advantage in some ways because we, I know a lot of people overbought and have too much inventory and like everything's on sale right now. And a lot of people are struggling with, it was like that scarcity mindset after the pandemic where we're like, oh, we were never going to find bikes again. So let's buy like every bike we can find. And we have definitely paid attention to that. We've talked to so many other business owners and um, we reached out to a lot of small local bike shops to kind of just talk to them about their experiences and things to learn from. And so many people have given us like really great advice. And um, one of the biggest things that we're going to be doing is just like taking it slow. Like we can open the doors with like stock to the brim of product and so much stuff going on. And um, it could also really screw us. And so like, it's okay if we kind of like do a slow rollout, especially opening in August or at the end of August, then going into fall and winter. Um, we don't want to overdo it. And so I think next spring will really be like a hundred percent full in action, but we're just going to take it easy over the next few months. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good call. Like and yeah. you're a hundred percent right. There's so many shops that are like stocked full of bikes and now like no one to buy them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like across New England, like it's like people are down 50% in bike sales, like yeah. actual physical bike sales. But what's doing really well right now for people is service and like mm-hmm. the being able to like service your customers and work on bike. Like I just, I left the shop a little while ago and I'm like, I've never seen so many fucking bikes in for service <laughs> in my entire life yeah. and less people to work on bikes right. in my entire life. So I'm like in this like rock and hard place where I'm like, do I want to be doing service? No. Am I going to do 50 bikes this week? Probably. <laughs> like it's just, it is what it is right now. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I, uh, I am sponsored by Parkville and they sent me to um, the United Bike Institute, UBI in yep. June. And so I got my uh, intro bike mechanic certification. And so I will be there supporting Colby uh, in, in the small ways that I can. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone we've talked to too is like, I mean, service is just really a 
driving factor for a lot of shops because that's like repeat customers and um, making sure people's bikes are working for them is pretty important, I would say. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're not going to have thousands of bikes on our floor, which is good, but we'll, we'll yeah, definitely yeah. have some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What, when is opening day as of right now? Uh, Labor Day weekend. So, I, I, like that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, I, I don't know. Okay. September. Cool. Perfect. And you guys are going to open like every day of the week and like full on from then on out. Uh, yeah, that so we'll be our full operating schedule will be open five days a week um, from there and probably have some change into winter hours once it starts getting a little colder. But Colorado, honestly, the front range last year, we got pretty slammed or so, but Colorado is typically pretty good with biking all year long. Um, it dries out pretty quick here. So roads are always dry. This thing. Awesome. I love yeah. that. Well, I hope it. I hope it works out well. I think it will. I'm. I'm psyched to see it happening. There's not a lot of really good bike shops in Denver. Like mm-hmm. as big as Denver is, there's there's definitely some that that do the job. But I think it needs a a really good one that that people actually can kind of gather around. So I hope yeah. that this can be that for you and for the community. Thanks. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um where this is my last thing for you where where can people find the bike shop on social the Mm -hmm. website like where can people find you i'm sure there's a lot of people that were unaware that this was happening but will be psyched to see that it is so where where do people get more info yeah um so the shop's called treehouse cyclery uh we have a website just treehousecyclery.com and on instagram um treehouse cyclery and then uh following me and I, I post a lot of stuff about the group rides and events and shop updates. Um, so just underscore, underscore Alyssa Gonzalez, A-L-Y-S-S-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. Awesome. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much.